0: Then the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, let my people go so that they may worship me. Or this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people. So you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. You still set yourself against my people and will not let them go. Therefore, at this time tomorrow, I will send the worst hailstorm that has ever fallen on Egypt from the day it was founded till now. Give an order now to bring your livestock and everything you have in the field to a place of shelter. Because the hail will fall on every person and animal that has not been brought in and is still out in the field and they will die. Those officials of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord hurried to bring their slaves and their livestock inside. But those who ignored the word of the Lord left their slaves and livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky so that hail will fall all over Egypt on people and animals and everything growing in the fields of Egypt. When Moses stretched out his staff toward the sky, the Lord sent thunder and hail and lightning flashed down to the ground. So the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. Hail fell and lightning flashed back and forth. It was the worst storm in all the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. Throughout Egypt, hail struck everything in the fields, both people and animals. It beat down everything growing in the fields and stripped every tree. The only place it did not hail was the land of Goshen, where the Israelites were. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. This time I have sinned, he said to them, the Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Pray to the Lord, for we have had enough thunder and hail. I will let you go, you don't have to stay any longer. Moses replied, when I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands in prayer to the Lord. The thunder will stop and there will be no more hail, so you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But I know that you and your officials still do not fear the Lord God. The flax and the barley were destroyed, since the barley had headed and the flax was in bloom. The wheat and the spelt, however, were not destroyed because they ripened later. Then Moses left Pharaoh and went out of the city. He spread out his hands toward the Lord. The thunder and hail stopped and the rain no longer poured down on the land. When Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and thunder had stopped, he sinned again. He and his officials hardened their hearts. So Pharaoh's heart was hard and he would not let these lights go, just as the the Lord had said through Moses.
1: Good morning, church. Uh, If you're new and you don't know me, my name is RJ. I'm one of the pastors here in Tungabi Baptist, and I'll be bringing uh, God's word today. But before I do, allow me to say uh, just a quick short prayer. Father, I ask that my study and my preparation will be used by you to bring transformation, renewal, and life to your chosen people. Amen. So today we are looking at the plagues, uh, plagues the 10 uh, disasters that God has sent Egypt to force Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. Now we'll be looking at the first nine, so really Agnes read um, one uh, short uh, part of the chapter but we're gonna look at uh, chapter seven to 10. And it's, uh, it's a big chapter, so really I'm just looking at uh, a bigger picture of things. And then after Easter, we'll be looking at the last one, which is the worst one, when God sent the, the death of the firstborn. But you know, when I think of the plagues, I sometimes think of what parents uh, normally do when they discipline their kids, which is to start counting. I've done it, so parents will often say that, stop doing that right now, one, right? Right? Don't let me get to three, two, and half. two and a half, two and one sixteenth. And then three. And so similarly, the plagues sometimes looks like it's God counting down on Pharaoh for being such a stubborn child. And he's sending punishment one by one, the next one, worse than the other. And so this understanding then becomes one of the biggest obstacles to a lot of people in becoming a Christian because they just cannot accept a God who inflicts severe punishments on a whole nation like an abusive parent or judge. It's hard to believe or embrace a God who allows suffering and death to force people to obey Him. On one side, you're right that this passage is about obedience to God, and we'll see the aim is for Pharaoh to obey God. It's God's judgment and wrath being poured out because Pharaoh continually refuses to obey God so on one side, it's about God's wrath because of disobedience. But more than that, uh, I hope you've been seeing that we've been saying that the overall purpose of the book of Exodus is to make God known. So in chapter 10, we are reminded again of the bigger picture of what God said, that, that why this is all happening. God said that so that I may perform these signs of mine that they may tell your children and grandchildren how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them, and that you may know that I am Yahweh, that's my name, I am the Lord. So on one side it's about God's wrath, but at the same time it's saying that all this is happening not just to free the Israelites at that time, but so that one day it will be written down it will be read and people will believe and know who God is. So it was written not just for the sake of the Israelites back then, but for us today. So it's teaching us the same lesson back then of why we should obey God. And often we think we should obey God out of fear that we're gonna get punished. But deep down, God wants us to obey out of love, out of his grace. So three things that I wanna show you today, that the plague's is showing us why we should obey God. We should obey him because of who he is, and he is the supreme God, he is the sustaining God, and he is the saving God. He's the supreme God, the sustaining God, and the saving God. All right, let's begin. He's the supreme God. In chapter five, verse two, Pharaoh asked this very important question to Moses. Who is Yahweh, who is the Lord, that I should obey him? Now note that the question is not, is, God, is your God real? He's not asking, does God really exist? The question is, why him? Why your God? See, Pharaoh is not speaking as an atheist, but he's speaking as a religious pluralist. Like Egyptians, like, like most nations of the ancient Near East, believe in multiple gods. They believe that there is a God for rain, there's a God for the sun, a God for the moon, God of war, and so on. And here comes Moses and he says, let the Israelites go because Yahweh, the supreme God says this. And so Pharaoh's question is, why should I listen to your God? So in a way, he's saying? You have your God, we have our gods. Why should I obey and listen to your gods? Why should I convert to your God? This is Egypt, we have our own gods. See, Pharaoh is not against the Israelites having their own religion and worshiping their own God. He has a problem with Moses telling him that this God is the best one. Who is Yahweh that I should obey him? And remember, we said that Pharaohs, Pharaohs are considered to be demigods. In a way, Pharaoh doesn't submit to anyone, but here comes Moses demanding Pharaoh to obey and to, to surrender the entire labor force of the Egyptians. I think we can see the the relevance today. It's quite obvious that in the last couple of decades, it is true that organized religion is starting to drop, that Christianity, according to our statistics, the the ABS, it's, it's declining. Less and less people are coming to church, less and less people are considering themselves as Christians, but at the same time, we are being told that spirituality in general is on the rise. More and more people believe in some sort of a higher power, of a greater purpose, or some sort of spiritual realm. Society is abandoning organized religion, but they're embracing spiritual diversity. And so like Pharaoh, most people are not against other people's religion. We just don't like it when someone thinks that their religion is better than ours. People are happy for Israel Folau, for Margaret Court, to, to, they're happy for, for them to have their religion, but people just don't want their views being shoved down to other people. The society wants you to keep it to yourself. That's the problem. So what this is telling us, that the biggest obstacle to Christianity is not the lack of its validity, not, not evidence, but it's, its demand of authority. People don't have a problem with the existence of Jesus, they have a problem with the exclusive claims of Jesus. Because Jesus said, I am the way, I am the only truth, I am the only life, see? Most people like Pharaoh is asking the same question, why should I listen and obey to your God? I'm happy for you to believe in your God, but don't come in converting me and demanding me to to follow your religion. People's general problem with Christianity is that it intrudes. It intrudes in their view of sexuality. It demands how they express their happiness. It confronts their personal choices. Christianity is not something that you just add on to your life because Christianity reshapes and reorganizes your life. And we don't want to be told how to live our lives. I had a friend who told me that he believes there is a God. Up there somewhere but he believes that he wants us to to just be happy he wants he wants us to express our happiness that god wants us to to party and just to enjoy the life the way we want it to be and see that is the the conventional belief system today that yes there is a god maybe somewhere up there but at the same time he doesn't tell me what to do i decide what i will do and see the plagues is a way for God to show why he is to be obeyed, that God is demonstrating that he is the supreme God. See, the plagues, I believe, were chosen very carefully to match the Egyptian gods. See, the Egyptians have a snake god, and last week we saw how God defeated their magic. The Egyptians, they have a river god, and what does God do? He brings death to the river. The Egyptians, they have a sun God, and God brings darkness. They have a God for the sky and the weather, God sends hail. They have a God for the harvest, God decimates their crops. The Israelite God, Yahweh, is confronting the Egyptian religious belief system, and he's showing them that all these religious beliefs are subject to him. See, in chapter nine, just before the hailstorm, God says, let my people go for this time i will send all of my plagues against you why so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth there's there's no other gods like me in all the earth so that you will know that you cannot compare me to your gods and some of them started believing in verse 20 it says that those officials of pharaoh who feared, the Lord, who feared the word of the Lord, hurried to bring their slaves and their livestock inside. So they started to obey. In a way, the, the plagues, they are punishments. But see, through the plagues, they get to know who is the real and supreme God. They get to know who they should be praying to. Therefore, in a way, it's a form of God's grace. And that is why often the best way For God to save us is to bring us down in our knees. The best way for us to really know who to cry out to is for God to make us cry. God doesn't just save us in our suffering, but he saves us through our suffering. That through our pain pain and suffering, we get saved by turning to him. That's our first point, which is, by the way, the very first commandment in Exodus 20, that you shall have no other gods before me, that God is telling us that you cannot compare him to any other authority in your life, and he deserves to have complete surrender and obedience. That's the first point. Secondly, he's the sustaining God. You know, as I was studying the plagues, one of the questions I had in mind was, if God wants to prove that he is the supreme God out of all the gods, then why doesn't he make himself clearer? I mean, it's a common question today in Christianity. Why doesn't God make himself clearer? Because I think the plagues were just not clear enough, because notice that the plagues are mostly natural disasters. Now, the water turned into blood. Now, some commentators actually believe that it wasn't literal blood, but it is symbolic that all life in the river died. Now, that's debatable, I know. But whether it is literal or symbolic, look at what happened next, right? Because either way, it will explain the next plague, which is frogs escaping the river because the river is dead. And so they're going into people's homes. And after the frogs died, all the flies came in. So all the dead carcasses laying around, flies came in. And because of that, disease and livestock also started to die. And because there's animal disease, there's also, there's also uh, a human pandemic. Human disease also came in. So the plagues are, are really a consequence of the other. So in a way, they can almost be explained away. Like even today, in the last... Just a couple of years, we've seen pandemics, floods, bushfires, earthquakes, tsunamis, and so on. But we don't see people suddenly saying that this is an act of God. Most people would say, these are all unfortunate, but they're all natural things that are happening, right? So similarly, if God's main point is just to convince Pharaoh and Egyptians, I believe he would've done a better proof. I mean, if, if you were God, how would you persuade pharaoh to let the israelites go i mean we've seen what god can do first Kings 17. god sends fire down literally fire down and it says that people saw it and they believed and they worshipped. i mean that would have been a better evidence for pharaoh right or instead of sending thousands of frogs he could have turned pharaoh's men into frogs right in front of him right that would have been a more convincing evidence right But God uses the plagues, why? What what is he trying to show us? Now, a lot of commentators note that the plagues relate back to the creation story in Genesis 1 and 2. That they're saying that Exodus 7 to 10 is in a way is going back to the time before creation where there is absolute chaos and disorder. But Genesis 1 and 2 says that now the earth was formless, empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters? See, before the Spirit of God, there's darkness. There's, it's formless, there's no structure, there's no rules to, to, to govern the universe. It's empty, it's lifeless, it's chaos. And then God comes in. The Spirit of God comes in, He brings order, He separates water and land. He orders the daytime and the nighttime. He brings plants to life and the animals to eat the plants. So there's a system, there's a hierarchy, there's rules, there's routine. It is showing us that God and his word actually holds the universe together, and without him, everything returns back to chaos. His light in the darkness, he brings peace in chaos, he brings order in destruction, he brings life in death. So in a way, the plagues is not God intervening and changing the rules of nature, but here is God removing his hand, and he's allowing chaos to return. See, without God, creation is being undone, that there is imbalance in the laws of nature, the the weather destroying the animals, the insects destroying the plants, disease is running rampant in the land because he's showing them that what life is without God, without his word, that the rules of science exist because of God, that these are all God's rules in place in order to bring order in our universe. See, a lot of people think that we don't need God because science can explain the universe. See, but that is exactly why we have a predictable and quantifiable universe, because it is God who created these rules to keep the universe going. That the law of gravity, the law of physics, the boundaries of human anatomy, that they are there because God has set it in there as a rule. See, God has put physical laws, but he has also given moral laws. See, in Genesis, when mankind disobeyed God's moral law, it affects everything else. So pain, hardship, decay starting starts to creep in in the creation order. Because God is saying, my power, my law, my authority, it is what brings order and peace. What I have spoken in creation is what brings life. Therefore, to disobey my word, to disobey my rules, is to bring disorder and chaos back. And that is why the worst punishment that God can give is to allow you to do whatever you want because you will basically destroy yourself. That's chaos. See, a lot of people think that Christianity is full of rules, that most people reject Christianity because they see it's, it's too restrictive. But see, these, the, the rules are there because the creator of the universe designed it to be like that so that we can have freedom, we can live free, so that we can enjoy creation and live life to the full. That God's rules on sexuality, on marriage, on morality, on money, are there so that we can live within God's design and purpose, and only then can we find joy and peace and love. See, if your doctor tells you that you have high blood pressure and you have high cholesterol and you have to to limit your junk food and your alcohol and exercise a lot more, you don't say, or you shouldn't say, I don't care what you say, I'll do whatever I want, right? You don't say, this is my life, I'm free to do whatever I want with my health. See, in a way, you are free to do whatever you want, but your actions will have consequences. And to disobey the rules leads to death. Yes, you're, you're free to do whatever you want with your health, but you won't have freedom if you're dead, right? The road rules, the speed limits, the traffic lights, there are rules to keep order and safety. And I, you know, you have one person breaking the rules, it leads to death, even to the innocent. To obey the rules brings life, and this is why people don't want to hear the rules because they think it's too restrictive when when in fact, it gives freedom. See, the doctor understands your physical health, but how much more God understands your entire being. He created your emotional health. He knows your mental, your your psychological, your spiritual, and your social health. And so he gives rules so that you can live your life to the full. And see, God doesn't give us rules because he wants to restrict your happiness. It's there because it is the way you're designed to function, where your life will flourish. He's a maker who loves his creation. He gives you the rules because he loves you. So when he says, take a Sabbath or give a tenth of your harvest or to love your wife, to pray regularly, or even to go and make disciples, the command is not just for his sake. He doesn't need us. They are there for us to give us life. Passages like Psalm 19 that says, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. See? these These are not just sentimental poetry. These are truth. That God's law brings joy and life, but unless you trust and you obey, you won't know. Unless you trust and obey, you are left in chaos and disorder and darkness. See, that's why we are to obey God, not because he likes bossing us around, but his word, his law gives life and freedom. And the plague shows us that what life is like without God's law. But maybe you're wondering, well, how do I know that I can actually trust God and obey his word? Well, glad you asked, because that's our last point. The saving God. Chapter 10, verse 21 says that then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky so that darkness spreads over Egypt and darkness that can be felt. Again, if you go back to Genesis one, we are told at the very beginning there is utter darkness. And as I said, I don't think it just refers to the lack of light, but it's a place where there is no moral law, a place where God is not present. And again, that is the worst kind of judgment God can give. When God removes himself, that, will, that is punishment in itself, because without God, there's only darkness, there is only death. Without his law and his word, everyone comes up with their own law. And you can imagine a world without rules, that anything goes. Last year, when the government of South Africa fell and the people started protesting and the police were outnumbered by the protesters, the cities, including, including Johannesburg, were basically decimated by people looting. Men, women, children are out in the streets stealing, burning, and killing one another, doing whatever they can to survive. There's no rules, there's no law, and everyone is in is their own law. Johannesburg, which means the city of God, became a dark city. Now imagine a world where everyone is just free to do whatever they want for all eternity. You're free to do whatever you want forever, that you will live forever, but, and you're free. Imagine where God's law doesn't exist, that you're free to decide what's right and wrong for you, that there's no justice system, there's no punishment, Imagine that world. Now that world do exist, it's called hell. That The worst punishment God can ever give to you is to allow you to do whatever you want and do it for all eternity. To allow your sin to grow and grow and grow and to turn you more bitter and turn you more cold and more miserable. A place where you become more insensitive to sin. And I believe that's what hell is. C.S. Lewis, the author of, of the Chronicles of Narnia, he said this, that there are two kinds of people in the end, those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says, in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. He's saying it's either you say to God, I surrender myself, or God says to you, do whatever you want. It's your choice in the end. But you will have to face eternal darkness so we have a choice but here's why you should turn to god because centuries later we are told that darkness happened again and we read about it in matthew 27 where it says from noon until three in the afternoon darkness came all over the land about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here's Jesus on the cross, he became the enemy of God. On the cross, all the plagues of God's wrath and justice was laid on him. On the cross, darkness and chaos came down on Jesus. He suffered physical disintegration, he suffered mental chaos, he suffered social chaos when his friends abandoned him, but worst of all, he suffered spiritual chaos when he was abandoned by his father. On the cross, Jesus experienced hell. Why? Why? He was innocent, he was obedient. So why? So that you and I can have the peace and the freedom and the joy that God wants us to have. That on the cross, Jesus took our sins and suffered the darkness that our sins deserve so that you and I can receive light and life and joy in the law of God. See, you read Psalm 19 and you kind of think, how the heck does God's law bring joy to me when I cannot do it? How the heck does it bring joy when I cannot follow and obey it? But here's why, here's, here's how you can read the Bible and God's law and, and love it and enjoy it, because Jesus Christ has done it for you. That Jesus Christ obeyed the law perfectly and he has given you his righteousness so that you don't obey out of fear, but you, that you'll get punished, but you obey out of love because you're already saved. if you're a christian the the rules are not there so that you can be saved no but you are saved so that the rules are there so you can freely and joyfully enjoy the life within god's rules so you don't have to suffer the plagues of god's wrath because christ took your punishment for saying no to god but only if you say yes to the love and the sacrifice of jesus today As one hymn goes, by John Newton, who used to transport uh, slaves, but then ended up freeing a lot of slaves. As one hymn goes, he said this, to see the law by Christ fulfilled and hear his pardoning voice, changes a slave into a child and duty into choice. That we no longer obey because we have to, and we're scared that we're gonna get punished, but we obey because we want to. Church, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for sending your son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus, we thank you. We, can, we can't thank you enough for taking on the complete wrath of the Father just to bring justice into our sins. And Lord, we pray that we will be forever grateful for that, that we will never forget the, the goodness and the greatness of the gospel, so that when we look at your law, we can happily obey and love and trust that we do all these things for your glory, but also for our good. This we pray in his name. Amen.